The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather together to worship Almighty God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and your material support, your written or emailed responses, your selections of forms of ministry and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. Jesus greets us today in the voice of authentic authority in our own experience. He evokes tradition, he evokes confrontation, he evokes response. This is the day the Lord has made, we shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people, and in our time grant us your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We listen with care to the change, the development of our mother tongue, spoken English. Now and then a phrase will rise up in our time, one such, a reset. This is an occasion here and now in prayer and silence for a moment to reset ourselves, to change backward, to move forward, to confess our sin, to lift our hearts, to await the pardon and peace and mercy that comes from the embracing love of God. In confession, we invite you here in the 21st century to a moment of reset. As the choir sings our traditional Kyrie, may we offer our silent prayer of confession.
Sabbath rest by Galileo, calm of hills above, where Jesus knelt to share with thee the silence of eternity interpreted by love. Beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, you shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a word that the Lord has not spoken? If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be frightened by it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
please join me in reading Psalm 111 with the Antiphon. to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty are the works of the Lord, whose righteousness endures forever, who has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord provides food for those who fear him and is ever mindful of his covenant. The Lord has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. The Lord sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is God's name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. The praise of the Lord endures forever. Rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of our hymn. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Glory to you, O Lord. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, 
the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Jesus greets us today in a voice of authentic authority in our lived, our own experience. Three aspects of 
his teaching, we identify and highlight this morning and apply them to our own spiritual benefit. First, notice the place of tradition here, not traditionalism, but tradition, as Pelican rightly said, traditionalism is the dead faith of living people. Tradition is the living faith of dead people. Where does Jesus speak? In the synagogue. When does he speak? On the Sabbath. How does he speak? As a teacher. Holy space, holy time, holy words. He accepts the inheritance that is his, and he dons the raiment and takes upon himself the yoke of a familiar place and time and role, Sabbath rest. We uh, appreciate that word. We are a a sleep-deprived people, somnambulant in a sleep-deprived culture. We are awaiting that refreshment and that renewal that can come come Sunday. We even have a few students around here who sleep in all the way into the late afternoon. Well, there may be a way we can learn a little bit there. There is a refreshment that comes with Sabbath. You've heard me say after the sermon, some people awake, arise inspired and some people awake refreshed and both are good. There is the Sabbath. Here is the synagogue, a gathering together. When you are engaged in the holy work of gathering others around a common meal or a common table, or in this case, a common gathering, you brush the angel's wings. There's a goodness, a godliness, a holiness in that gathering. Two Sundays ago on the one winter day we've had so far, I made the human mistake of walking to church along the river without a hat. Halfway along, I put my gloved hands over my ears, and I hurried, as I always do, eager to see who would be here, eager to listen for the gospel, eager to receive the ministry of music and liturgy, eager to engage in the dialogical monologue of a sermon, eager to be in the presence of others with whom we share a common faith, and especially that day, eager to come in out of the cold. On a cold morning, there's nothing like a warm church. When it is relationally cold enough, the embrace of a church family to love and a church home to enjoy can mean just everything synagogue and teaching teacher. Here he is in the role of the rabbi, as Jeremiah said, follow along the old paths. As Matthew said, not a jot or a tittle will be set aside. That inheritance that guides us and helps us. You know, we think of 50 generations ago as a long time, but I could take two steps here. One, to and get you to 1893. My father born in 1928, my grandmother in 1893. And 48 steps more, I'd be just past the plaza. That's not very far or very long. I would be with you in the first century. Three times this year, four by the summer, we honor the memory of Dean Howard Thurman, thinking so long ago, and yet there are people in this sanctuary who knew his voice, whose children 
he dedicated, who remembered the silence in his preaching and the motion of his hands. We think of Daniel Marsh as somebody so long ago in the past, our fourth president, and yet his daughter graces us every Sunday with her presence and her voice. And we learned this year, Jan and I had the great privilege of attending and officiating at a wedding, a lovely wedding in Pittsburgh, Marsh's home, whence he came here in 1926. And there we saw a great tower. You know, it looks strikingly like the tower once planned, not built, meant for behind this chapel. You may see that drawing downstairs. And in the Heinz Chapel itself, built 10 years before Marsh Chapel, in Pittsburgh, home of Daniel Marsh, yes, a Gothic nave, yes, beautiful woodwork in the chancel with carvings, yes, conic stained glass, yes, with figures from religious and American history, yes, Abraham Lincoln present there too. Now maybe this was a coincidence, but you know, inheritance can mean everything that holy word, holy place, holy space and time which nourishes us. Authority comes in part from discovering the right kind of tradition. I notice a young woman in Rhode Island who's battling this week for a form of religious freedom, freedom from religion, I think, in her case. You know who she called upon as a witness for the defense in Rhode Island? Remarkable. Roger Williams. Now there's a story from the past about religious freedom, fit for the space and time. Not traditionalism, but tradition. Our neighbor, Carrie Cronin, teaches a course at Boston College on social relationship, and she has a whole section devoted to, let me see if I can remember the word here from a long time ago, oh, dating. It's a section on dating. And she gives a script saying, I quote her exactly, old scripts can give new freedom. And so she recalls this practice and gives direct advice. Here she says, women can ask men as well. If you invite, you should pay. Take 90 minutes and go to these six places in Boston. Make it an alcohol-free event. Invite in person, not by Twitter. You'll be able to gauge the response. Oh, and by the way, to pass this course, you have to go on one date. There is a kind of tradition that if and when we rediscover it, will guide us toward a voice of authentic authority. Notice the place of tradition in Mark 1. Second, notice the place, the central place, how could you miss it, of confrontation, of convulsive confrontation. And there was in the midst of holy word and holy place and holy space and time, there was one convulsed by a demon who cried out in a loud voice, I know you. It's demon against demon, angel against angel. Spiritual presence versus spiritual presence. We're in the realm of cosmic apocalyptic at the beginning 
of Mark. And for those who want to learn and hear more, eight Sundays this coming summer, summer will be devoted in our National Preacher series to this theme. Matthew begins his gospel with the quiet sermon on the mount. Luke begins his, the public ministry in his gospel with the formal sermon at Nazareth. John begins the public phase of his gospel with Cana in Galilee. And here's Mark setting before us what? Convulsive confrontation. Well, we don't yell much in public here in the late 20th century, the 21st century, the late modern era, we women and men. We tend to be a little more reserved, don't we? But twice a month here in this chapel, we observe a memorial service, and nearly two weeks ago, given a gathering from around the globe, we had a moment as the service began, and then a creed cure that ramped up in volume and splintered out in thunderous cacophony. And then a quiet, and then a creed de cour, ramping up in volume and splintering out in thunderous cacophony. And really, in the loss of a loved one, what other appropriate response could you make? I remember the first time 30 years ago in a funeral when something like that happened, and it caught my attention, as it did here two weeks ago. We don't shout a lot in public, except maybe if we are out on a Friday night on a dance floor with a lot of refreshment and a little pause, except maybe as a culture we're waiting for six and a half or seven days to the conclusion of an athletic event wherein we may be present or watching and may, we don't raise our voice very much unless maybe we're sitting alone at the internet, at the computer, and we're thinking, just what kind of aerial bombardment am I going to put in just here? We may have ways of overcompensating for our loss of public creed. Of course, still it is not our realm, our worldview. We are people who know about confrontation, but in a more direct way, and confrontation is an authentic voice of authority. That is, you may get to a point when you need to speak directly. We want to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. So the scripture teaches us, Colossians. But the Bible also says, be angry. Let not the sun go down on your anger. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Authentic authority evokes here and there confrontation. So you say to your roommate at some point, one of us is wrong, and I think it's you. Or you say to your boss at some point, now listen, do you want to do my job for me, or would you like to give me the space to try it myself? Or you say to your superintendent, let me help you get down off my back without hurting yourself. (laughs) Or you say to a culture, yes, I believe in capitalism, I'm a capitalist capital rules. It's not laborism after all, but you know, human beings have human needs. And one way or another, my son needs a job. Or at the end of a negotiation, you say, all right, this is through. I agree to it, but I will never agree with it. There come points where authentic authority 
calls out a kind of confrontation. In our time, on the theater, in the theater, on the stage, there is a great show, Freud's Last Session. It is an imagined conversation between the Christian apologist C.S. Lewis and the great psychoanalyst and psychologist Sigmund Freud. And they go at it for 90 minutes, back and forth, no stage change, no movement, all conversation. And it is wonderful. Why, you can imagine it. Lewis, Freud, Freud, Lewis. Lewis saying, in pleasure God whispers, in pain God shouts. Freud responding somewhat later, thank you for that, but could you tell me why at middle age you're living in a home with the mother of your best friend? Lewis, I began one day an unbeliever, and the next few hours I cycled and I had faith. Freud, you might want to talk to somebody at some time about that. Lewis, there's nothing more reasonable than faith. And Freud, yes, look all around us, war and disease, loss and death. Together, you can't settle these issues in 90 minutes, but they engage, no? They confront in a convulsive manner. All through it, the radio plays. Freud turns it on for the news. And as soon as the music comes off, and at the end, says Lewis in good Freudian fashion, why do you always turn off the music? And the curtain goes down, and you see the great psychologist lean forward and turn up the music. Authentic authority occasions confrontation. We notice third as well, the evocation of a response. Here in this cycle of teachings from Mark chapter 1, we are given episodes and stylized memory of Jesus' movement into ministry. And here his teaching resounds and his fame, interesting words, spreads out all across Galilee. He is called to the demon to be silent, but the verb there is really be muzzled. This is a harsh teaching. Not like the scribes, he teaches as one with authority. He teaches, wouldn't we like to know what he said? Of course we would, and we would, repeat, we would repeat it every Sunday as we do the Lord's Prayer. Did he teach on Psalm 61? We would use that. Did he cite Proverbs chapter 30? We would forget the other 29. Did he use a certain cadence or theme or rhythm or music? That would be ours as well. But maybe there's a quiet wisdom in the silence of Scripture which tells us nothing here about what he said, only its effect leaving us free in love to speak the truth in love in our own time. There is a, a response that is called for in authentic, in a voice of authentic authority. You know, on this college campus, the ministry of Marsh Chapel has a crucial role to, to play in evoking this kind of response. May I say a word to those who are 30 years old and older who may be here. Your example in evoking a response for others and from others matters greatly. 
In a time of trouble, there may be a presence and example that is like a light shining through the stained glass. In a time of challenge, there may be in memory for students, graduate and undergraduate, who come through our space for a time, a memory. Chaplain Jones visited me when I was ill. Professor Smith listened as I spoke about my family. Dean Jones had a, took time to speak with me. Thirty years later, those examples and those influences will call forth a response. Your example here now matters. These memories last. You know, somehow a long time ago with four children and a preacher's salary, my parents found a way to give every one of us piano lessons. Now, at least for one of us, five years of lessons didn't really stick, and I still can't play a scale all those years later. But I can appreciate fully, much more fully, what the musicians do. In those long-ago days in a farmhouse, now this is 50 years ago. It's not that long ago, though. There in a, a living room not far from the barn itself, the crops coming in, the milking, morning and evening, the rhythms, a young farm wife, 20 years junior to her husband, who raised three beautiful daughters, had a glowing and lovely marriage, and taught scores of piano students, many of whom can actually play something. In her early years, uh, she was a gracious, giving example whose influence continues still. Those scents, that time, that, may I call it, friendship, somewhere between Lewis and Freud on the piano bench. Did you practice this week? Some. Well, it's remarkable. You don't sound much better this week than you did last. Will you practice next week? I will try. At, in her early 40s, she died of a malady of cancer, and I went to her funeral. This is a long time ago, but I remember it clear as a bell. The theme in the preacher's offering was this. You are a song that God is singing. Your example, not just light, but salt on this campus, makes a difference. For example... Some five years ago on a winter Sunday, a graduate student came to church. Following the service, she said, that sermon was meaningful to me. Over the weeks, she got involved, took some leadership. Why, some months ago, she even found herself in a job here, and there are people in the sanctuary who owe your presence to the example and influence of Elizabeth Fomby Hall, calling and asking for a response. Will you cook on Easter morning? Will you bring a casserole? Will you join the adult class? Authentic authority evokes a response. So yes, I, I wish that Brian and she were here. As, as, as you know, of course, one thing leads to another. On the tea one day, she from Texas met a young man from Texas, and they had all those Texas things in common, you know the Alamo and Jim Bowie and the Rangers. 
and all you all, and they got acquainted, and they began to enjoy each other. I think they went on a date, but I don't know. <laughs> they became engaged, and they got married, and then Uncle Sam shipped the chaplain Brian off to Fort Sill, and there they are with their emerging family, and I, I wish that they were closer, but that doesn't worry me. I'd like to have them still here in service, but that doesn't concern me. I'd like to think of them as present in the flesh, not only uh, by the magic of the internet, but that doesn't make me anxious, because I know, and you know, in your own experience, that their example will evoke a response. Jesus greets us today in our lived experience with a voice of authentic authority which evokes tradition and evokes confrontation and evokes response. So we must ask one another, will this be the Sunday on which I go home and write in my journal? Today I made a commitment to live as one through whom God's song is being sung.
We come to the time in our service when we offer our prayers before the throne of grace. I would invite you to remain seated, stand, kneel, or come to the communion rail according to your tradition as we join together in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, let us pray to the Lord. I will conclude each petition. Let us pray to the Lord. Please respond. Lord, have mercy. That the people of God in all the world may worship in spirit and in truth, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the church may discover again that unity which is your gift, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the nations of the earth may seek after the ways that make for peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the whole creation may be set free to enjoy the glorious liberty of the children of God, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That all who with Christ have entered the shadow of death may rest in peace and rise in glory, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Let us commend the world to which Christ showed the way to the mercy and protection of God. Almighty God, your Son, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. Grant that your people may shine with the radiance of his glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth, now and forever. Amen. Seeking the salvation of the world as our Savior has taught us, so we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and would encourage you to let us know that you are here and help us get to know you better so that we can help you get you get to know each other better by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and passing that book along to your neighbor. We would note this morning the arrival of our spring term books. We hope you received one, and uh, if not, pick one, out on, pick one up on your way out the door. We hope uh, that those who are listening from afar uh, can download the term book from the chapel website or can call the chapel office to receive one by mail. We would note two uh, activities coming up this week. One is that this Thursday, Friday, Feb- uh, Thursday, February 2nd, uh, is Groundhog Day that all-important of holidays here in the United States and Dean Hill's favorite, and thus his annual celebration by taking anyone who would enjoy to do so ice skating on the Frog Pond on Boston Common. Again, that's Thursday, February 2nd at 1 p.m. You can meet him down on the Common. We would note also this Friday the beginning of a new program here at Marsh Chapel by Congregant Doug Reeves uh, entitled Finish the Dissertation. If you are a doctoral student or doctoral advisor and are struggling to make it through your uh, dissertation phase, we would encourage you to be here in uh, the Thurman Room downstairs from 9 to 10 a.m. on Friday morning, or you can attend by webinar. More information is available on the website, uh, bu.edu slash chapel, along with all of our upcoming services and activities and the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
awaken us to the claims of your service, O God, and stir us with a passion for your kingdom, that we may respond not only with our gifts, but also with our lives. Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 